Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. It's still Easter! Now you've heard me say this, I think this is the fifth week in a row. I think, is it the fifth week? What does the bulletin say? Yeah, six? Six, wow, six times now you've heard me say that. Yes, it's still Easter. Easter is more than just a single day that happens in the life of the church. Easter is a full season in the life of the church. And so as we've been going through this series on what it means to be Easter people, you've heard me say countless times, but I cannot express it enough. That Easter people are people who are shaped by the good news of the resurrection. These are people who are transformed by the very nature of what Christ has done. Not only in his living, not only in his dying, but also in his resurrection. This is the gospel made plain to us. And we have it here again in our passage coming from John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So, as we've been going through, these, uh, through this notion of what it means to be Easter people, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth between the Gospel of John and the Epistle of 1 John. Both have very similar themes. This passage that we have before us, you might recognize, is a continuation of the passage we were talking about last week, with uh, the first half talking about bearing fruit. And you see that theme come up again here in this passage. But something very unique that I failed to mention uh, last week when starting to talk about this passage is that as John's recounting what Jesus, has, uh, what Jesus is talking about here, and by the way, do take note that this is happening like during the Last Supper moments. This is Jesus' last discourse to his disciples, the last thing that he has to offer them before the great trial. And, and this in John chapter 15 has very similar roots to Moses in a lot of ways, and Moses' final discourse with the Israelites before he went up on the mountain and passed away and the Israelites went on into the promised land. In fact, if you were to turn right now, and I would even encourage you to if you have a Bible, to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, I believe you will see very similar themes here, where Moses is speaking on behalf of God to the people, saying that, where, where God is saying, I have claimed you because I love you. 
See, this very passage in John 15 is echoing the same theme that happened so many hundreds of years before, and it's the same theme that has, theme that has been stretched out across all of Scripture, the great enduring love of God. And, and, and this kind of love that's not just for us, but welcomes us into that love. That's what's going on here. And I, I love that you can even see this tie back to, into Deuteronomy because it, it continues to prove to us that the love of God did not just spring out of nothingness whenever Jesus came on the scene. God has always been a loving God from the very beginning. And so we reach this point in John 15, when Jesus is about to go through all of the chaos that is lying before him, and the disciples are about to go through all of the chaos that they are completely unprepared for, and Jesus offers them these words of comfort. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. I've called you friends. Oh, what a beautiful thing. I do imagine for a moment, though, that the disciples might have been sitting around the table hearing this. You know, they're all sitting on one side of the table for the Last Supper, right? That's just how it ended up happening, according to, was it Michelangelo who painted that? <laughs> and, uh, and so they're all sitting around the table, and Jesus is saying this, and Peter looks over at John and says, we've been doing this for three years, and we're just now friends? feel like we deserve a little bit more than that, but all right, there might be some mumbling around the table. But this is a powerful moment. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I want us to consider for a time why Jesus would change our status from servant to friend. We hear the word servant used a lot uh, in the life of the church. To be a servant is, is kind of what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be as Christians. We are supposed to be servants, servants of God and servants of one another. And, and this, I don't think, negates that, but it's important for us to consider why Jesus would change our status in this way, from servant to friend. And according to Jesus, he kind of at least gives us a little bit of a hint here as to why all of a sudden there is this change. It says because servants don't really know what's going on and what the master's doing, what the big plan is, what the big picture of all of this is. Friends, on the other hand, they know. So Jesus says, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. So according to Jesus, we are insiders. Think about that for a moment. We are insiders. We know. We know the big picture, the big plan. We know what this is all about. We know that how, how incredible all of this is that's been building up to this moment. And we've had greater part of 2,000 years to figure, figure it out in even more depth. That first of all, this entire thing, being a Christian, following Christ, loving God, living this kind of life, it's shaped by love. And not a love that originates from us. We as human beings are capable of love, but this is the kind of love that we're talking about that can only come from the source of true love. This kind of love that pours into us and overflows outside of us. We are insiders to know that love is the foundation. 
we are also insiders to know that God, through Christ, has great plans for those who would be in the know. They are to be people who abide. They are to be people who bear fruit. They are to be people who are shaped by the good news of the resurrection in every sense of the word. According to Jesus, we are insiders. And while this has its good news to it, it also comes with its own amount of responsibility. See, insiders can't claim ignorance. Insiders can't claim, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Insiders know exactly what it means to live the life to which they were called. So there's a little bit of a responsibility that comes with this new status change from servant to friend. Because now that we know, we have to do something about it. And if we didn't realize we had to do something about it before, Jesus goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what does Jesus command? That you love one another. Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So this kind of joy that Jesus is talking about, he intrinsically links to love. We, as human beings, are motivated by joy. It's just kind of a, a product of what it means to be human. So as, as uh, many of you know, I've finally completed my coursework in uh, my master's program, which has been really exciting. And, and the, one of the last classes I took uh, this past semester uh, was a class, it was a class on couples counseling, but the professor uh, specialized in the neurobiology of couples counseling. And so I actually learned a lot more about neurobiology than I did couples counseling during this time. And uh, yeah, go figure, it was, it was a, wow, it was a lot of information. But uh, his, his work, he specialized in looking at what are called the prototypical uh, brain systems that function in our brain. And the most fundamental, I'm gonna be using a lot of jargon for just a quick second, but I promise it's all gonna come around. But the most fundamental of these brain systems is the seeking expectancy system. This is the system that, that, that forms when we are mere infants that says, I am seeking some sustenance, I am seeking some comfort, I am seeking something, and I expect it to come to me. And this seeking expectancy system continues to develop over our life and becomes shaped by the pleasure-joy system. Joy becomes absolutely paramount in influencing everything that we seek, everything that we expect. How awesome that Jesus is pointing this out to us you know, 2,000 years before this research has even been done. That joy is paramount in all of this. And so he gives this away to the disciples saying, your joy will be made complete. And I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that. Guess what? It's the same word that we've been using for centuries now. Do you want to go back to Deuteronomy 7 for just a moment? It's the very same word. Oh, we can even go back to Deuteronomy 6. Oh, we can even go back all the way to the very beginning here. Can anybody guess what that one word is? Love. Yes, absolutely. It is love. 
And once again, not the kind of love that we muster up ourselves, but this is the kind of love that comes only from the source of the truest love that pours into us and overflows beyond us out into the world around us. That is how joy is made complete. And this is the commandment that Jesus gives to us, to love one another. We have been called insiders, and we know that word, love, it's, it's not hard to guess, is one of the most basic four-letter words in our vocabulary. It's probably the most overused word that we have, aside from like or stuff like that. Uh, this four-letter word has such a gravity to it because it calls us to be something more than we might otherwise be. It calls us to take a step up into the world. It calls us to take active roles. It calls us from servant to friend. This is that kind of love. And it's the kind of love which Jesus says, which Jesus calls us to abide in. And it's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to go forth and bear fruit through. It's this love that is the very foundation of all of this. Now, I know at this point on week six of talking about this that it's, it sounds like I'm just sounding a noisy gong because, I'm, yeah, Michael, we've heard this already. You've, you've told us this. this, is, this is, we've already had this for six weeks now. Yes, that's how important it is. And it is even more important that we understand our roles as friends of Christ. Easter people are friends of Christ. And friends are insiders into the gospel message. Friends of Christ are insiders into what all of this means, and insiders have responsibility. We can't feign ignorance as insiders. So we know. We know what we are supposed to do. In fact, most of our most well-known Bible verses are surrounding this. Micah 6, 8 for one. Anybody want to quote that one for us? I'll put somebody on the spot. <laughs> Please don't do this. You make us talk every week and we're tired of it. You know what the Lord desires from you. And you know what is good. To seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. You know we are insiders to all of this. I want to encourage you. So this is the last part that we have in this series on Easter people. I want to encourage you after this to go home and read through the epistle of 1 John. You can read through the gospel of, of John as well, but the epistle of 1 John. Because 1 John's picking up on this exact same message, this exact same theme, and is spitting it right back in our face saying, you know this. You know what it means to be friends of Christ, to love one another. And how can anyone claim that they know God if they do not have love within them? And it's just going to be a resounding gong over and over and over again. It's going to become annoying. But that's how important it is that we understand what it means to be friends of Christ, that we understand what it means to be insiders with Christ. And there's one more powerful part of this passage. I say one more. I could be proved wrong. But verse 16 here. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you. Consider that for a moment. I'm going to get really Wesleyan for a second here. In the United Methodist Church, in our uh, doctrine, we profess grace as one of the central tenets of what it means to be a United Methodist Church. And there are three and a half forms of grace. I say three and a half because one of them isn't called grace, but it's kind of a working of grace. It's called uh, spiritual respiration or or regeneration. Uh, There is, I'm going to go backwards, sanctifying grace. That is the grace which calls us into holy living by the grace of God we are made, can be made perfect in this life. There is justifying grace, which happens before sanctifying grace, and this grace is the grace which restores us, reconciles us to the love of God. And then there is the first grace, first grace, prevenient grace. This is the grace that comes before, before we were even aware of God, before we were aware of our need for that kind of love. God began working in each of your lives from the very beginning putting little moments in there, drawing you closer and closer into this love. This provenient grace is what Jesus means by, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Before we even had the capacity to choose Christ, Christ was already present in our lives, pulling us closer and closer and closer. That That, my friends, that is love. The kind of love that started working in us before we were even aware. The kind of love that continues to work in us even when we don't want it to. That kind of love is what it means to be called friends of Christ. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Easter people bear fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that will last. Mm, I love that he throws that in there. Fruit that will last. You know, whenever, we, uh, whenever you go grocery shopping and you get like some bad grapes or something and they just like, they're mushy the day after you bought them. That's not the kind of fruit that Jesus is looking for. Jesus already got mad at a fig tree for not showing up. <laughs> Jesus wants fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. And so... I want to offer you this challenge this week. I want to offer all of us, myself included, to go forth to befriend others in the love of Christ. See, being called a friend of Christ comes with the expectation, the responsibility that we invite others into the same fold. The love of Christ has no limits. It continues to extend outward and outward beyond all human comprehension to welcome in all of humanity. Yes, it is great enough for all of humanity. So why on earth would we dare limit that love by denying a single person in our community across the globe access to that same friendship. That is the responsibility that we have. That is the responsibility that comes with being a friend of Christ, that comes with being an insider, is that this friendship that we have been welcomed into is desperate that we go out and bring others in. 
is desperate that we reach out to every single person that we can to say, to give this exact same good news, that you are loved unconditionally from the beginning of time, before you even realized that you are loved. And I want to show you what that love is all about. Easter people are friends of Christ. And Easter people go forth to befriend others in the love of Christ. So let us be that this week, church. Let us be the people who go forth to befriend others in the love of Christ, to live as real insiders, as friends of Christ. Let us go forth this week to be what the church is meant to be. And let us pray.